This is the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church of Ames, a podcast designed to help you live a gospel-fueled and faithful life wherever Jesus has called you. Welcome again to the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church. My name is Mark Vance, and we've been doing a series here on Equip over the last couple of weeks, focused around what the Bible has to say about a really difficult uh, cultural topic of homosexuality and same-sex attraction. And if you haven't listened, again, I want to encourage you to go back, because in part one of this, we just went through the main biblical argument for why we don't see the Bible approve of homosexual practice. And that's not specifically any one passage, but the overarching theme of Scripture is that God's design for sexuality is one man, one woman, for life. And so, God has given sex as a gift, but He's given a boundary in which it's to be used of marriage between a man and a woman. The second talk, we went over the five main biblical passages that address homosexuality. The third uh, podcast recording that we did, which was kind of last week's, was I wanted to talk especially about what is the good news of Jesus, though, for some who would struggle with same-sex attraction. And I wanted to use the rich young ruler as a reminder that from the teaching of Jesus, all of us are called to give up something to follow Christ. But in giving up something... In laying behind something, Jesus promises to give us even more. He gives to every person who will follow him a true intimacy, a true identity, true freedom, and a true destiny. And I just want to encourage you, if you haven't listened to that talk, go back there. This this fourth part of this podcast series is looking at the question from a little different angle. And in particular, what I want to address is, how is it that I'm to walk in love with people that I care about who identify as gay? It could be you have a friend who's a practicing homosexual. You're a parent whose child is living inside of a homosexual lifestyle. You have even, I know students at Salt Company who grew up in a household where they have gay parents and have since come to Christ and are trying to figure out, how is it that I relate to my my parents? How does that relate to my mom? And I think that those sort of really practical on-the-ground questions, they're really hard. And they're, they're really where our heartstrings are pulled, because no one wants to be mean to a person they love, but yet the cultural choice that you're being presented with is kind of a binary choice. Either you celebrate, affirm, and love them, or you hate them. You're given an either-or implication. Either you hate them and you don't agree with their lifestyle, or you love them and you agree with their lifestyle. You're told there's only two paths. And the theme of this podcast is to say, there is a third path what you can walk as a Christian. You're going to have to walk this path that is full of tensions. It's the tension between conviction and compassion. It's the tension between conviction and compassion. And that tension is where you're called to live as a Christian. You're going to have to reject some things and embrace other things. And it's not going to be a path that is easy to walk in comparison to the culture around you. The easiest path is just to agree with everybody and be agreeable. I'm not asking you to be mean, disagreeable, or bullying. I'm not asking you to be homophobic, to hate, or to be afraid of people who are sinners just like you are. What I do think you have to acknowledge is in order to be faithful to biblical conviction, you need to figure out a way that you can love someone without celebrating sin. And that's a trickier path. It's a path with 
tension inside of it. I think of the model of this as Jesus. Think of how he interacted in John chapter 8 with the woman who was caught in adultery. This is one of the passages that people will often cite when they say, Christians, why would you judge someone who lives differently than you? Look at what Jesus did. He said, judge not, lest you be judged. I'm not going to be the first one to cast a stone. But in that interaction in John chapter 8, Jesus actually does something incredibly profound. For that woman who is caught in adultery, there are people prepared to stone her. Because in first century Jewish life, there was a practice of a a penalty of death for an adulterer or adulteress. They're preparing to stone this woman. And there's things, though, about that scenario that as Jesus walks into it, he intervenes. He says, who among you is without sin? You should cast the first stone. He, he reminds the people who are there, all of you are sinners just like this woman. He, in other words, he doesn't say, well, look, she's worse than all of us. He says, all of us are sinners. But he really does something profound for the woman because he doesn't simply say, he who is without sin casts the first stone. The last words that Jesus says to that woman is, hey, look, there's no one here to condemn you. I won't either. Go and sin no more. Those are the last words he says. He says, go and sin no more. He doesn't look at what the woman did and say, hey, I accept you. I accept you as you are. You're good. I celebrate your choices. No, no. He intervened to stop her physical death so that he could remind her that her sin set her on a path of a far more serious death ultimately. He stops her physical death so he can plead for her eternal salvation, so that he can call her to repent of sin and turn to a different way of living. He doesn't just say to the woman, I accept you. He says, if these people won't condemn you, neither will I, but you need to now go and sin no more. He doesn't simply overlook her sin. And that's so important. When living with conviction and compassion, we're trying to follow that model of Jesus, full of grace and full of truth, who is absolutely the one that a tax collector, a sinner, a prostitute can come to, and they can hear the good news. But Jesus didn't send those people away the same. He didn't come as a doctor for the sick and send them away still sick. Those people who came to him, he brought them life. He changed the path they were on. And that's the tension there. Because in our culture today, and with many people that you're going to interact with, they really believe the only way that you can love them is if you don't try to change them. Because love is just accepting them as they are. How do we deal with that? How do you love people that you know in your life who are practicing homosexuals, who identify as gay, who are pursuing that or living in that lifestyle, what do you do? Well, I'm going to propose there are a few key things you have to reject, and then a few key things that you need to embrace as your pattern of life and the posture of way you live. So first, let's talk about what we need to reject. We need to reject hate and bullying. Okay, let, let I just want to say that again. We need to reject hate, and bullying. There is a way to present the teaching of Scripture that might get the teaching of Scripture right, but that feels totally wrong when we look at how Jesus lived. He wasn't just full of truth, he was also full of grace. There is an arrogant, jerkish, silly, 
hateful way to present the teaching of Jesus that doesn't do justice to what Jesus says. Simply saying, the Bible condemns homosexuality and you all are going to hell, that is harsh. Because the Bible doesn't only condemn that. It's a misrepresentation of Christ. I think of churches that go around, and thankfully, this is not the reality for most churches, but people who go around holding up God-hates-homosexual posters and picketing, this sort of ridiculousness, there's nowhere in the New Testament where it tells you to do that. And hating your neighbor, the New Testament does tell you is wrong, okay? Hatred is forbidden for the Christian. So we have to reject a hateful way to present hard truth. Reject that. The second piece, we need to reject sexual and marriage obsession. Okay, I think we have done a disservice to people inside the Christian church in this area. So much of our life as a church, our life as Christians, it seems as if the core like goal of life is accept Jesus, get married, have kids, and that's like the only pathway to happiness, the only pathway to true flourishing in life. Marriage and kids are a great gift of God. I am married. I thank God for my wife. I have children. I am thankful for my children. But Paul presents in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians singleness as a gift. And so the Christian tradition has always held up that a celibate single life can be a full and fulfilling human life. The greatest example of that is Jesus. Jesus is the image of God, the fullest presentation of what it looks like to be truly alive And he lived his life as a single celibate man. There's something about our kind of evangelical culture surrounding marriage that feels a little bit to me like the prosperity gospel. Alex Tuckness was just talking about this, and he said something I thought was so profound. He said, you know, the prosperity gospel is the teaching that God comes to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. Like, you accept Jesus, and he's going to make your wildest dreams come true. He said, many people I know at Cornerstone and churches like it, while we reject that prosperity gospel, it seems like we have a marriage and family and sexuality prosperity gospel. Like, if you just follow God's plan for your life, you're guaranteed to have a good-looking wife and wonderful kids and a great sex life. As if that, like, that is the picture of what God promises. But that's never his promise. And when we lift up marriage as, like, the singular goal of human life, for our brothers and sisters who may be called to struggle with same-sex attraction, who look at that and they say, that's not a path I can take, so that means I'm always going to feel outside. No, we have to make space for our single brothers and sisters inside the Church of Christ. We need to reject an obsession with sex and marriage. Here's a third thing we need to reject. We need to reject seeing homosexual desire, homosexual activity as a separate class of sin that is different from all other sins. If you want, go back and listen to the teaching on Romans 1 as we walk through that in the second part of this series. Romans 1, the big point is not that homosexuality is different than all other sins, but that all sin is a function of a disordered love. I am not actually living according to God's design when I'm living in any sin. Heterosexual lust is a breakdown of God's design just as much as homosexual lust is. There's no separate class of sinning here. So sometimes people say, man, how am I supposed to love my gay brother or sister? Well, maybe, let me phrase the question. How are you supposed to love your greedy 
brother or sister? How are you supposed to love your hate-filled brother or sister? How do you love sinful people? Well, that's how do you love people? People are all sinful. And so in a lot of ways, when we treat homosexuality as a totally separate class of sinning, we begin to distort the biblical teaching. Here, here's one final thing we need to reject. And I, this one, I think, is very important to understand properly. We need to reject seeing the goal of Christian discipleship as a change in sexual orientation for those who would struggle. We need to reject, some people call this like a conversion therapy approach. Remember, Jesus is calling us to live a holy life, not necessarily a heterosexual life. We don't know if God will change that desire, and that's not the point or call of the gospel. Christopher Yuan, in his book on holy sexuality, relates a story he had where a mom came to him weeping because she had a son who had just came out as a homosexual. And Christopher Yuan, he knew that this mother had actually a couple children, uh, two sons, one of whom was currently living with his girlfriend and had a son outside of marriage, and the other of whom had just declared himself to be a homosexual. And he said to that mom, he said, what is it that is so disturbing? She's weeping. I just want my son to be normal. I just want my son to be normal. And what Christopher Yuan pointed out, he said, what that mom wanted was she was actually more comfortable with her son living a lifestyle of heterosexual sin than she was with her son being a homosexual. She wanted her son to change his orientation so badly that, in fact, she would have been totally fine with him moving into a heterosexual relationship that was sexually outside of God's design, that was sinful. She's missed the point that following Jesus is not heterosexuality, bisexuality, homosexuality, but holiness in our sexuality that God has offered. So when we see the goal as a change in orientation, we miss the point. All right, those are things we need to learn to reject. When as a Christian community and when our stance is to look that way, what we will do is we'll make relationship very hard because we'll treat homosexuality and those who struggle as like a separate class of person. Instead, let me call you to some things we need to pursue that we need to embrace. We need to embrace for those we love who may be full bore into a homosexual lifestyle, we need to embrace the Bible's commands to honor and respect all men. We are to give honor to all men. Even there are passages that talk about how the New Testament church was commanded to honor Caesar. I mean, th- that is a command to honor someone in Peter's letters who was actively pursuing killing Christians. The Bible commands you to love your neighbor, and it doesn't give qualification about whether the person that you love looks, acts, or feels a certain way. The person in front of you is an image bearer, not just a gender identity or sexual identity defined person. That person in front of you, even though they might say to you as the primary identifier, like, I'm a gay person, I want you to know me like that. The most important reality you need to see in every person you interact with is that is a person made in God's image. I need to honor God's image, whether I agree with everything they do or not. So critical that we live with honor. We live with kindness. We live with patience toward all men. Embrace honor. Here's a 
Second thing, especially when it comes to relationships where people are close to you, family members or friends, embrace listening first before you try to give answers. Embrace listening first. I want you to build a bridge before you take a stand. I want you to hear what they feel and hear their story before you confront their lifestyle. I want you to listen more and talk less. And listen with compassion. Look, I don't agree with a person saying that living a homosexual lifestyle is acceptable to God. It is sinful by biblical definition. It is. But I can also listen with compassion and realize someone coming out of the closet, someone talking to their friends and family members about this, that's really, really hard. That would, it would be really hard. I can listen with compassion even when I don't agree. I'm not nodding along with their lifestyle. I'm listening to a person that I care about. If you will listen patiently, at a certain point in time, that person will ask you a question. I think of the New Testament admonition where it tells us to be ready always to give an answer to anyone who would ask a reason of us for the hope that's within us. It always strikes me, it doesn't say, be ready always to tell people what you think. It says, be ready to give an answer when they ask. If you will listen first, there will be the opportunity to speak. There will be the opportunity. But start with listening. And while you're listening, here's the third thing you need to embrace. You need to embrace patient prayer. As you're listening, what I want you to be doing is just saying, God, give me the words to say. Give me the love to care about this person. Give them a heart to hear the good news of Jesus. Give me something. And when you're praying, I want you to be praying, God, I don't think you're praying, guys, give me a chance to explain absolutely everything I've ever thought about sexual attraction or what the Bible says. I want to give them all of Mark's podcasts. Maybe there's a time for that. Maybe you give them a podcast and say, would you listen to this and tell me what you think, what you hear? I think that there may be a time for that. But even more often, I think what you want to do is pray for them and don't try to win a whole argument. Just put a rock in their shoe. You know, just help them to see what real Christianity is like. And there's the fourth thing. You need to honor and respect. You need to learn to listen. You need to live with patience and prayer. God can change people's hearts more in one second than you can in a lifetime. And ultimately, you have to embrace truth. It is not loving to lie to people. It's not loving to act as if the Bible teaches something different. You can speak gently, but like Jesus did with the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 9, You may not throw a stone immediately, but you do have to say, go and sin no more. At a certain point, you love people enough to walk with them. You don't just kick the person out of your life who's struggling, but you can't ignore sin either, ultimately. Compassion without truth is careless, reckless, and insulting. It is not kind. It is not kind to be compassionate, but not truthful. Truth without compassion can be harsh, demeaning, and judgmental. And I recognize there is a tension when you're called to walk the harder road of wisdom. But that's the road that you're called to walk as a Christian. There will come a time, and even more in this culture, I find that time comes very quickly. In families, it comes very quickly with my friends. That if you stand up and say, I'm a Christian, and I go to a conservative Bible-believing church like Cornerstone, people who identify 
inside of a same-sex attracted lifestyle, inside of a gay lifestyle, they're going to ask you what you think at a certain point, or they're going to tell you about their experiences in the church. And you're going to have to stand with truth compassionately. So, these are just a few points of wisdom. They don't ask answer every question that you might have, but they give you the general landscape. You need to reject some things. Reject hate and bigotry. Reject an obsession with marriage. Reject seeing homosexuality as a separate class of sin. Reject seeing the goal as a conversion to heterosexuality, not just a conversion to Christ. And embrace honor and respect. Embrace listening. Embrace patient prayer. And embrace a compassionate truth-telling. And in that way, what we have to do is we have to embrace learning to live more and more like Christ, who was both full of grace and full of truth, full of deep, compassionate kindness, and full of deep conviction based on God's Word. God help us to live in that sort of way toward those that we love who may struggle.